Michael's looking over at me like I forgot my cue. I'm just sitting there waiting for more music, like you, right? It, it feels good to sing together. It feels good to be together. There's a day coming when you're going to look back on this period of time, and you're going to say, remember that one Christmas when we all had to wear masks to church, and, and we had COVID? It's going to be like looking back on the snowstorm of 77, or on the ice storm of, what was that, eight years ago, right? We all lost power. It'll be a memory. The question is, what are we going to do with the memory? How are we going to allow it to affect us, to make us different? We come to a place like Christmas right now, and we find ourselves asking a question, what, what is it all about? And, and individuals have to be reminded. We have to be reminded what Christmas is all about. There's one of my favorite theologians, and his name is Charlie Brown. And, and Charlie Brown asked the question, what is Christmas all about? Can anyone tell me the real meaning of Christmas? Do you remember that question? Here was Linus's response. Let's watch. That little boy was only nine years old when he did that. The, the producers at CBS said, that kid saved the Christmas story. They, they wanted to scratch it from television. The producers thought that they had spent money in the wrong place. It became the highest rated Christmas special ever in the last 50 years because of that nine-year-old who memorized that and, and said it by memory. How many of us could say that whole passage by memory? That little Linus character could have saved himself a whole lot of trouble if he had just quoted 1 Timothy 1.15. Look with me on the screen at this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Could, could you remember that part? That's just nine words, right? Linus could have saved himself a lot of trouble just by quoting that. But I don't think that would have ever seen the light of day on television in 1965, and it certainly wouldn't see it today in 2020. The networks would never allow Linus to say that part. The real meaning of Christmas for everyone is that every single one of us, everyone is invited to begin again. And if there was ever a time when humanity needed a chance to begin again, it would be in 2020. You say amen if you agree with that. that, that that's a ripe opportunity. And God uses Christmas at the end of an incredibly tumultuous year to invite us to begin again. 
I'm going to ask you to step with me into the world of the first century, to the sound of horse hoofs and saws stroking through wood and sheep bleeding in the street and shop owners selling their wares. It's village life, village life in the first century. And village life in the first century is filled with the mundane. Everything's always the same. People know what to expect the next day when they wake up. It's going to be exactly like it was the day before. Nothing ever changed. They always knew exactly what to expect until, until God ripped open the midnight sky until there was this blast of brilliant heavenly light, an explosion of light. And the Bible records that moment in time this way. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. So he said this last weekend, this is exactly what's going on here. The one who exists outside of time steps through the fabric of time. And we're talking about the condescension of God. God, the Son, becomes Jesus, the human. God stepping through time to become one of us. That's what Scripture is describing. The Creator takes the form of the created. If you seize nothing else about Christmas, if you don't know the real meaning of Christmas, seize that, that God became man. The Creator takes the form of the created, and he steps into our world with what the Bible calls the consummation of the ages, a specific moment in time in the first century. Look with me on the screen at this, Hebrews 9.26, but now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin. You and I might look back on life in the first century as romantic. We might think, I wouldn't mind living during that period of time. I'm here to assure you life was no picnic in the first century. And no, they didn't have COVID to deal with. They did have much bigger issues. They lived under the heel of Rome. It was a military state. They lived in a very, very difficult time. A huge portion of the planet, 300 million people alive in the first century on our planet and the overwhelming majority of them, a huge portion of them, live under Rome's rule. And Rome ruled with an iron fist. Taxes are very high. Morals are very low. Caesar's in control. And the military state tells you what you can do and what you cannot do. And into that world, God the Son steps onto planet Earth. And he did it for a reason. Not just so we can buy each other gifts. He did it because he wanted a relationship with us. He did it so that you would know him, a personal relationship. And his determination to have a relationship with every single one of us, every single person who's in this auditorium, every person who's doing virtual church right now, every single one of us, his determination surfaces this way. He brings invitations to you through disruptions in your life, through interruptions in your life, and through opportunities in your life. Many times those disruptions and those interruptions, they lead to the opportunity, the opportunity to receive the invitation. We'll just call them interruptions and disruptions. That's what we're thinking of when we think of 2020. 
I'm going to illustrate it this way from a Christmas story. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. It will only take a few minutes. In the first century, Caesar Augustus is on the throne. He's redistricting the empire. And in order to redistrict the empire, he's going to increase taxes. So he conducts a census. And everybody's told they have to go back to their hometown, their home village. We could say the city of David, but that would be a misnomer because it's not a city. Bethlehem is really, really tiny. They have to go back to the village of their ancestors. And that command brings a young carpenter, a young woodworker, to the town of his ancestors, to Bethlehem. So Joseph makes this very long journey with his soon-to-be bride. They're contractually married. Legally, on paper, they're already married. But they have not yet physically consummated the marriage. Scriptures are very clear that that hasn't taken place yet. In order to understand this, you have to step back several moments in time, months in time, actually, from the moment we're talking about to when Joseph first finds out. Look with me on the screen at this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to drink that in for just a moment. A young woman who is expecting a child out of wedlock in the first century. It's cause for execution. Mary's like all the other young ladies in her world. Many young women married in their mid-teens. Young men married when they were around 19 to 20 years of age. They had to have apprenticed first in some trade. Joseph has apprenticed as a carpenter. He's achieved the right to step out into his own business. And he's coming to the place where he wants to have a bride. So Joseph has all the plans of any young groom. And what's on his mind as he's doing woodworking in his shop? Well, I can promise you it's not the color of the bridesmaid's dresses. He's thinking about his engagement. He's thinking about his bride. He's thinking about his wedding night. And there's a distinct process to marriage in the first century. It takes place in two stages. The first most formal stage is exactly when the father of the bride and the groom come together and they agree upon a contract of what the marriage will look like. And they draw off the papers. And the bride and groom come together and a cup of wine is poured and the pronouncement is made over a cup of wine. And the bride and the groom drink from the same cup over which the pronouncement has been made. At that point, the groom leaves his bride with her parents. He returns to his parents' home. And they enter into a one-year waiting period. And during that one-year waiting period, he builds a home, a place where they can live together. Their names have been publicly recorded at the synagogue. It's legal. It's binding. It's a contract. Everybody knows. And they're in the midst of this traditional 12-month waiting period. And if the one-year waiting period demonstrates the purity of the couple, well, the groom at the end of the one year can march with a grand processional down to the home of his bride's parents' home and receive her and, and march her back to the home that he's built for her. And there in front of that, they will have the wedding ceremony. So Mary and Joseph in this story are in the one-year wait when she's found to be with child. Matthew 1.18, look at it again on the screen. Before they came together... Before the contract was completed, before they physically knew each other, she's found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. That means Joseph is not only aware, her pregnancy has become obvious to the community. And I want you to note this, it's, it's due 
to the action of God. It's due to an interruption in her life, a disruption, a disruption in the life of Joseph. It's become obvious to everyone, and it's a very difficult interruption. It's natural to assume that she's been unfaithful. That's where Joseph's mind goes. And Joseph knows that God places huge value on sexual activity. He knows that abstinence outside of marriage is the standard that God presents in the Bible. He knows that faithfulness within marriage is God's standard. From Mary's side of the coin, she knows that she's a virgin, and it's the evidence of her godliness. That's why she protests when the angel shows up and she says to Gabriel, how can this be? I don't get this. I've never known a man. It's, it's the evidence of her purity. She knows But the New Testament is extremely clear on this detail. Galatians 4.4, you see this on the screen, church? It says, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That is extraordinarily unique in the first century and in the Bible times. God sent forth his son, born of a man. Yeah, because men are always mentioned, but it says born of a woman. There's no human father in that verse that's mentioned there. So obviously... The conception is by the Holy Spirit, and it's an enormous mystery, but God doesn't choose to explain it to us. You know way more, though, than what Joseph knew. Joseph knows nothing of these details. You have the benefit of looking back over history. You can hold God's Word in your hand. He didn't know any of these things yet. So from a cultural viewpoint, it is expected he will seek a divorce, verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned, means he had a great desire in his heart. He desired, he planned to send her away secretly. So what kind of a man is Joseph? Well, the Bible tells us right there he's righteous, but we know more about him than just that. He's introspective. He's not a pushover. He's adventurous. He knows his Bible. He understands God's word, and he has a willing heart. But this heart in this moment is broken because he genuinely loves Mary, and yet she's pregnant. That he chooses not to publicly divorce her and humiliate her is evidence of his love for her. However, a violation has taken place. And because he's righteous, he cannot in good conscience marry her. If he were to go through it with, with it, it, it would be a tacit admittance of his guilt. And he's not guilty. So his hands are tied. What does he do? He's been shamed. And all the community's watching. And he knows this is not his child. And it's here that you want to yell out, Joseph, read Luke chapter 1. But he can't because it hasn't been written yet. He doesn't know Luke chapter 1. Ultimately, it's going to require a really honorable man to marry this young woman because she's already showing. And I don't know if you grew up in a small town. I grew up in a small town. And what happens in a small town is that people talk. That's a polite way of saying they gossip. And they gossip then just like they do now. And they believe that Mary is with child through sin. So it's going to take a calm, steady, 
determined individual to deal with the trauma of these circumstances. But he's a woodworker. I've known some woodworkers. They're process-oriented. They're detailed. They're methodical. They tend to be very strong. Yet in Joseph's case, we find him to also be tender. And he knows Mary well. Probably known her since her childhood. He knows her purity. He knows her character. He knows her devotion to God. He knows her honesty. How could she, of all people, betray him so flagrantly? And certainly she's told Joseph that she's not guilty, and there is no way that he believes her. So Joseph, according to verse 19, has planned this divorce, but now he's got to tell three other people. Her father is going to receive a written bill of divorce to break the contract, and he has to have two others who will witness it. So at least three people have to know it can't just be a secret and put her away. And every single one of the details you've heard in these first five minutes all add up to the collapse of a young man's dreams. Everything that he was hoping for, for his life. Keep going forward with me in the story. Verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Are you catching God's purpose here, church? If you're new to church, maybe this is your first time ever even streaming a church service. Maybe it's your first time sitting in a church service. Are you catching what was just declared there? That verse just said why he came, Charlie Brown. This, this is the reason why. Without the detail you just saw, you don't have the real Christmas story. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Watch what happens. Verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph is no different than you. He fell asleep with a lot of questions on his mind. That he could fall asleep is astounding to me. That much going through his head in these moments. How could he actually sleep with this much trauma on his mind? But in the midst of it, God doesn't just answer the dilemma of the pregnancy. He brings an opportunity. He brings an opportunity in the midst of the disruption. It's in the form of an invitation. Joseph, this is what you can do. So watch with me on verse 24. I'm just going to break it down with you in just three words. Joseph awoke and did. Did what? He took Mary as his wife. Catch what's going on here. This is the very thing he determined he would not do. We're talking about a real human being, a real individual who lived in time, who made a determination that he was going to send her out. He wouldn't adhere to what he thought had, had happened. And, and God shows up and is contrary to culture because culture says, leave her, Joseph, his feelings say, don't trust what she's saying, Joseph. Yet it's God's word that negates both of those arguments. 
God's word says don't go with your feelings. God's word says don't go with what culture is telling you. God's word says trust me, trust my word. You have that exact same opportunity today. You have that exact same opportunity to trust the word of God. Watch the transformation. Joseph hears God's invitation, and he believes God's invitation, even though it's going to be a major shift in his life. A huge disruption has come. So let's see what this means for Joseph, because suddenly it's about way more than rescuing a young woman. Yes, there's a young woman in his life, and she's precious to him, and she needs to be rescued in this situation. But it's about more than that, as you're going to see in the story. But the key to the transformation is found in verse 21 when it says, He will save. That was the angels pronounce it. For He will save. And that knowledge leads to action. And I emphasize that because what you believe about God determines what you do next. What you believe about God determines what you do. He believes God's word, and so he's going to act on God's word. So we're told Joseph awoke, and he did. And everything from this point forward and the very remaining sentences of this story points to the details of the change. Will there be a cost? Yep. It's going to cost him business opportunities. It's going to cost him social standing in the community. It's going to cause him to have his social circle begin giving him verbal abuse, and there will be attempts on his life. All of this is pointing to the fact that his world is going to change. Fast forward to the very end of the story in verse 13, and we come to the part in chapter 2, verse 13, where the wise men have already shown up. They've been to Jerusalem, they've talked to Herod. And in verse 13, we're told that the wise men are on their way out the back door. They're leaving. They've come and gone. Verse 13, now when they, they is the wise men, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. We looked at Herod last weekend when we were together. There's no need to go back there. The dude is seriously messed up, though, if you haven't read about him before. Go back and watch last weekend's services if you get a chance. You'll get, you'll get what I'm talking about. So verse 13 says, when they had gone. I told you that's the Magi. Just as an aside note, what a huge confidence builder for God to lead the Magi, the Hakem, it said in the Hebrew language, for them to show up on the scene. Because up until now, the angel has come to visit Joseph by night, and all he's had is an exchange of words. And yeah, there's a reason why she's expecting Joseph, but the physical evidence that God is really in this arrives on the scene when the Magi are there. An entourage comes all the way from Persia, and they confirm the phenomenal words of the angel. So Joseph's got to be thinking, well, it wasn't just my imagination It wasn't just a bad meal I had the night before. This is real. And they come and tell him exactly the same things that he heard from the angel. But no sooner do the Magi depart and another angel shows up. And he's got a huge warning. Herod's on a rampage, Joseph. 
And the number one thing on his mind right now is to find this child and kill him. Get up now. Run, Joseph. Don't stop until you get to a place of safety. You've got to go to another country, and it's going to take weeks. Traveling with a baby is already difficult. Traveling with a baby in the first century is even more difficult. Traveling with a baby in the first century for nine weeks to get to this place of safety. It's, it's going to take days, nine days of walking just to get to the borderline. He's got a, a wife and a baby with him. Alexander the Great had declared Alexandria a sanctuary city during his reign, and the Romans kept it a sanctuary city. So people who wanted to leave other countries and go there and flee could go to Alexandria in Egypt. That's very likely where Joseph went. I want you to notice the detail about this trip, though. The trip, it, it, it absolutely absorbs my attention because I want God to step in and rescue me when trauma comes my way. But God doesn't do that. The family is not instantly just transported to Egypt. Could not God have swept in and blinded the soldiers or killed Herod? Certainly, he could have. But he didn't. God's purposes are accomplished through the actions of an ordinary man. The command to run, that's supernatural. By all means, when an angel shows up and says, run, you better listen. But the actions are of an ordinary man. The departure, and this is where it applies to you, the departure that he had to take, it requires every single day kind of faith. Everyday faith that God is going to meet their needs. So God's growing Joseph, and he's growing Mary in the midst of this trauma. And it's been my experience as I walk with God and as I study this story especially, it, it's evident here one more time that if you yield to God, God's going to provide. If you believe that God provides for your needs, would you say amen? I'm glad you believe that. The evidence screams that in this story. The treasure that the Magi brought, it's going to more than meet their needs for the travel expenses. It's going to more than meet their needs for their daily expenses, more than cover their travel. But hear this, because this is what really resonated with me. Joseph didn't know about the treasure when he got up and obeyed God. When he did as he was told and took Mary as his wife, he had no idea that God was going to come to the rescue again and bring the treasure his way. See, our God always makes a way when there seems to be no way. Why Egypt? Well, to fulfill prophecy, it's, it's one more way, one more mechanism that God's going to say, see, that's the one, pay attention to him. Look with me at Scripture. It, it says this in the book of Hosea 11.1. 1. Old Testament prophecy, 700 years before, I called my son out of Egypt. How did Hosea know to write that 700 years before Jesus was even born? God told him. Let's keep going finish the story out. Verse 14, so Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. I'm here tonight to remind you that God knows the Herods of this world. And it does not catch him by surprise when things go horribly wrong. 
when there's interruptions and disruptions in your life, God is not surprised. God's not surprised by COVID. God's not surprised by what's coming in 2021 or 2022, 2023. We don't know what's coming, but he does. God's completely aware of the times. If, if you drill down into that verse, you see God's even aware of the political landscape. He knows when Herod goes off the scene and when Herod is no longer alive on this planet. God is always working in the midst of the worst situations and the best situations. If you're a church person right now, you should be thinking Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We just talked about that two weeks ago. This is another evidence of that. The, the working out of God's plans, though, requires something of Joseph, and it requires something of you today. It's going to require something of you throughout the year ahead of you. The working out of God's plans requires, first of all, a humble submission. That's what it required of Joseph. It required obedience. So it required submission, humility, obedience, and it required one other thing. It, it required patience. All he had was the information, go to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. And it appears that a couple of years went by. A couple of years before they say, Herod's dead, you can go back. So verse 19, it finishes the story. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So the angel reappears and says, Joseph, go home. It's time. It's time for him to be where he will do his work. So you've got to take him back. I want you to consider the change that you've observed in these 15, 20 minutes that we've been together talking about this. A man has gone from quietly building furniture to dodging bullets all in the span of this little bit of time, his life has completely changed. Could he have stayed home and found another girl? Yeah, he could have. He could have lived out his life uninterrupted. For sure, he could have pursued another path. What changes it? Well, he learned about Jesus. He learned about Jesus' presence. And when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. So Joseph understood and he believed. Now, I just want you to be honest with me right now. Let's just do a show of hands. I'll put mine up along with you because I think you're going to put yours up. How many of us feel unqualified to do life with God? Right? I'm sure Joseph's right there. Like, think this through. How unqualified do you feel when God shows up and says, by the way, you get to do life with the Son of God? Whoa. I'm responsible for that? I'm not qualified. It's hard enough when a baby enters your world, let alone the Son of God. See, the reality of the Christmas story, the reality behind the meaning of the Christmas story is this. None of us is qualified for life with God. In and of ourselves, we're not there. It's Jesus' presence that makes us qualified. 
in spite of all of our flaws, in spite of our sin nature, God brings opportunities to us to know Him and to grow in Him. And Joseph is no different than you. He's flawed just like we are. Look with me on the screen. I can say that under the authority of the Bible. Romans says this, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Joseph included. Yet even though that's true, Joseph is invited to respond to the presence of Jesus. It's the exact same opportunity that you have today. It's the presence of Jesus that opens the door so that you can begin again. And everyone is invited to respond to his presence. So here we are, 360 degrees from where we started, all the way back at the beginning. 1 Timothy 1.15. It's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. You can receive him today just as you are. And I want to encourage you not to wait until you feel better or until you feel good enough. It's not about that. You may personally right now think you're too far down the road, that you've got too much sin history behind you, that perhaps you even think you've out-sinned God's ability to forgive you. Can, can I give you a Christmas gift right now? And here's your Christmas gift. I'm not even going to ask you if you will let me do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to give you a gorgeous reminder. The grace of God in forgiving us is not about what we've done. It's about what he's done. It's not about our past. It's about how he changes your future. God loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. I'm going to give you an opportunity here before we sing our last song together and, and you pick up your car keys and you head out the door and you enjoy all of your Christmas moments and I hope you have a magnificent Christmas. I hope you have the best Christmas of your life tomorrow. I want 2020 Christmas to be outstanding for you. But before you do that, hear me on this. You can receive Jesus right now. You can wipe out your sin history and the scriptures actually say when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, he not only wipes out the sins of your past, he wipes out the sins of your present and your future, sins you haven't even committed yet. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He's done it all. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Whether you're already a believer in Jesus, you're already a church person, or you're new to church, I'm going to just ask you, would you close your eyes where you're at right now? I'm going to speak specifically to individuals who are watching virtually and those who are in the auditorium and ask you if you, you would just pray this way if you want to receive Jesus. First of all, tell God, admit to him. Say, Father, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And I encourage you to say that. He will not be surprised. The next thing you need to tell him is tell him that you're willing to turn from your sin that you are willing to repent. It, it doesn't mean that you won't stumble. It doesn't mean that you won't have times where you trip up. But from this point forward, God's promise to you is that the power of the Holy Spirit will be working in you to bring correction to your life, to move you along, to be more like Jesus. He will correct that sinful behavior. Here's what, what is critical according to Scripture. Tell God that you believe Jesus died for you and that he rose again. 
As a result of all that, I'm going to ask you to invite Jesus into your life. Tell him you want the forgiveness of your sin, that you want to begin again. You can open your eyes right now. Perhaps you did that. I just wanted you to close your eyes to shut out the distractions. If you did that, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And Scripture says the angels are rejoicing right now that you confess Jesus, that you name him as your Savior. And because you've received the forgiveness of God, the Bible says this about you. You are a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. That means you get a new beginning as of this moment. If you receive Jesus just now, perhaps if you hadn't done it before, this will be your first Christmas as a Christ follower, as a Christian. You have a double reason to celebrate tomorrow. And to help you, we have free Bibles for you. They're on the back in the back of the auditorium in the atrium area. If you need a Bible, be sure and take one with you. If you're watching online virtually, you need a Bible, let us know. We will mail one to you. They're going to give you an address up on the screen so that you can let us know, and we'll be happy to send one to you. Church, I'm going to encourage you, if you're a believer in Jesus, to be praying for those who might have made a decision in this first service. We have three services today. Be praying for those individuals. Right now, I'm going to pray for all of you before we sing this last song. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray your blessing over every single individual who's part of this service, both virtually and in person. God, let your blessing rest upon us for turning our attention toward you. Let, let us enjoy a 2021 with you in our sights, with you in our focus, knowing that you bring all the disruptions and all the opportunities to draw attention to yourself. God, you draw us into relationship with you. So I pray that your blessing will rest upon us beginning right now. God, do that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said, amen.